Praise the Lord. God's good. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And uh, like I said, this is going to be an exciting day today. Looking forward to second service. I think we have six or eight people being baptized. And uh, that's always exciting. Amen. And uh, so this morning, we just want to uh, go through, and maybe it's been a while since you heard a message on water baptism and really the significance of it. Let me just say, when it comes to water baptism, it is not just a ritual or a tradition, it is literally deliverance for our life. Amen? That's what's connected to it, is the deliverance that we have in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. So does everybody have an outline? Why don't you look at the cover of your outline. We put something new on there and uh, that we would do. And, uh, and Tuesday night, I put them on there for the first time and challenged the people. But uh, to give us a memory verse. Everybody say a memory verse. Say, let, let me just encourage you, you can still learn. Amen. And uh, you can still memorize things. People say, well, I just can't memorize anything. Well, if I asked you maybe the dates of your kid's birthday or your grandkid's birthdays or different things like that, if I asked the guys who's leading in the stats in baseball, like, amen, we, we memorize a lot of things and we have that. We apply ourselves on our jobs. We do things and we use things. And so we're, our brain, in fact, it's interesting, our bodies uh, may slow down, but your brain does not get old. Hello? You have to tell yourself your brain's old. I'm doing all right. And so you have the ability to, uh, to memorize all the way through life. In fact, the older we get, the smarter we are. Lord willing. Amen? I know he is. But that's to be our goal, that the older we get, the smarter we are. And uh, I, I, I remember telling my pastor when he was 65, and he had bought into the lie that when you're 65, you have to retire and you're too old and you have to move out of the way. I said, Pastor, you're not too old. You're in your prime. I said, you know, you're the wisest you've ever been. You know the most you've ever known. I said, maybe you have to redirect how you do things a little bit. But that, that isn't, this isn't the time. And it was very sad for my pastor because they actually, in believing that, they actually transitioned. And he retired and he turned the church over. Then when him and Sister Hood went home, they, they, they went to their home and they sat down. And after the transition, they said, wait a minute, we still have ministry in us. Uh, they started looking at, what do we do? Do we go take it to the church? Do we start over? But then that sat down on them, and they kind of got discouraged because they had, they had just bought the lie. I mean, know what I'm saying? So I want to encourage you, don't buy the lie. No matter where you are, we can always grow and we can always learn. So let's just read this together at, at the top of the memory verse. Then Peter answered and said, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. And so there's an interesting thing when you go through the book of Acts, especially. book of Acts is a very important book to believers. The book of Acts gives us accounts of people actually being saved. And then it gives us accounts of people actually being baptized with the Holy Spirit. When you get into the epistles, the epistles are, are, are books of instruction written to people who have already received the Lord, who have already been baptized in the Holy Spirit. So when you go to the epistles, we're finding instruction how to live the life that we have received in Christ and how to use the gifts in the ministry and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives as well. Amen? but to find out how, how to be saved, what to do when you're first saved, and how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we only have instruction and examples in the book of Acts. How many know what I'm saying? And so many times when people teach about things and, and, and they use the epistles for how to receive or defining receiving Christ or receiving the Holy Spirit, you have to go, wait a minute, those are instructions to people who have received, not to people who are receiving. How many know what I'm saying this morning? That's so important to understand that. And so Peter here, and every time you find people accepting the Lord, the very next thing that happened is that they were water baptized. And we're going to find out this morning why that is so important. Because the devil, and I'm a little bit ahead of myself, but the devil always likes to get people to trivialize what God said is important. If we just, well, that's just a church tradition. That's just a thing that we do. It's just like communion. How many know that communion is not a trivial thing? 
And we found out, especially when Brother Larry was here, we walked through that with him and, and just learning about the significance and the importance of the body and the blood of the Lord. So it is so powerful. Let's make this confession together this morning. Father, I thank you that I am no longer under bondage and a slave to sin. You have delivered me through the power of the cross and the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Today I choose to live free from my past by pressing towards the prize and the promise that I have in you, knowing that your grace will empower me, your mercy will cover me, and your love will never fail me. Amen? And so Tuesday night I said, and these things, man, just take these home and through the week maybe put them up someplace where you, I, I, I tease them Tuesday night because I, you know, people, the first thing they do in the morning is usually get up and go to the bathroom. And there was that cartoon a few weeks ago that I saw on Facebook about that little old cranky old lady that puts those cartoons up every now and then. And, uh, but she had, you know, people say, well, I have to go to the John. She said, well, I actually renamed my John Jim. So she said, the first thing I do every morning is get up and go to the gym. And so when you get up in the morning, you go to the gym for your morning workout, then uh, maybe put this there over your treadmill or whatever you have in that room, and uh, you could read this confession. Amen? Hallelujah. And uh, not only will you come out relieved, you'll come out strong. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So look on the inside of your outline, if you would. Several years ago, as we began to implement the encounter weekend into the fabric of our church, I began to realize that after 30 years of preaching, I was finally learning how to fully preach the gospel. Paul said this, he declared, he said, I came to you and I have fully preached the gospel and fully preached Christ to you. And that's our goal, to receive the fullness of all that is ours in Christ, to walk in the fullness. Last week they did such a beautiful job, Sean and them, in showing us all that Jesus paid for our freedom. Amen? And so we see the, 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 the accounts of Jesus literally being whipped. And Tuesday night, if you missed it, you could get the CD from that. But we really talked about the power of the cross and the blood and every place that Jesus shed blood for us to be redeemed. And so we understand the power of the blood and we understand the delivering power of the cross, but to, to look at that and to understand, wait a minute, when I see what he paid, I, I'm never going to let the devil talk me out of that. It's not God's will for me to be healed. By his stripes, we were healed. Amen. When they shoved that crown of thorns on his head and that blood ran down over his head, it covered his eyes, his ears, his mouth, his nose, and, and, and dealing with everything. As Sean was praying there, that Father, for, the, for, for our minds, what we think and what we see and what we say and what we've heard, how many know there's blood that covers that? And so to say, you know what, I just can't control my thoughts. Yes, I can. There's blood that empowers me. Amen. And so we understand that the power of the blood, but to fully preach Christ and to walk in the fullness of that, that's what we're looking for. And that's part of what we, we have with the encounter weekend coming up because many times with the encounter, we have that because on a Sunday morning and in a Tuesday night and just, you know, a few minutes of a message and a few moments of time together and just a quick prayer, you can't get an answer. How many know you don't do heart surgery as an outpatient? If, if you have a real medical need, they just don't bring you in, you know, and just kind of numb the general area and, and then like take your, you know, aren't you glad? Well, we need to remove your appendix. We're just going to give you a little bit of anesthetic right here, cut you open, and you'll be able to watch the whole thing. Like, what? And, the, you know, and then we'll go inside and kind of, as we're working, our, how many know what I'm saying? And then a few minutes later, you will be able to go home. How many would sign up for that procedure? Probably not. But so when it comes to something major dealing with, and even with us in deliverance, we want the quick and easy plan. We want the drive-through plan. We want the can I get it quick. We, we want to can we speed this up. We just changed our, our, our we, we've had uh, a DSL at our house, so we've been trying to speed up our internet because it's frustrating when you think things should happen faster, and then we live in such an age where we want everything faster. But deliverance doesn't come fast, it comes by the way God planned for it to come. Amen? And so understanding that. So the gospel is about coming all the way out of bondage. We are to know and to be set free by the power of the blood, the victory of the cross, and of Christ. It is good to get delivered out of Egypt and out from under the yoke of sin. It is good to begin the journey out understanding the power of the cross and the blood that was shed to set us free. And we just celebrated that in communion. Amen? 
But this is a journey to freedom, not a destination. And that's where many people miss it. When we come to Christ and we accept Him as our Savior, that's the beginning of the journey. That's not the final destination. How many know what I'm talking about? And when we understand that and begin to walk this out, great things begin to happen. Faith in Christ is a new and a living is, is a way, new way of living and a new way of thinking. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 3. In essence there, he says, I'm forgetting those things that are behind, and I'm pressing forward to the mark of the prize of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? And so this is what I'm pressing forward. And he actually says this, I don't count myself to have arrived. And every time I read that statement by Paul in Philippians 3, I'm reminded this is the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. When you read your Bible and you get in those 27 books in the New Testament, Paul wrote two-thirds of those. And so you're thinking, yet that guy, if anybody could say, okay, you know what, I got this thing in, God figured out. I kind of got it fixed, and I, I'm, I'm locked in, I'm good to go. Paul says, no, I, I don't count myself to have a rye, but, but I want to do, I want to fully understand why Christ apprehended me. And the way I do that is I forget my path. I know who I was. I was a sinner. I was a persecutor of the church. I know my shortcomings, my mistakes, my failures, my fault, and I'm not dwelling on that. Christ saved me from that. Amen? So this is what I'm doing. I'm pressing forward. And he says, so as many as us are mature, as many as us are grown up in that, let us keep pressing to towards that amen and encourage one another so that this is a journey and he declared that he had not arrived but was pressing for and that's how we are here to live and so that's our goal leaving Egypt and entering into the promised land is an amazing story to read go with me to Exodus chapter 14 if you would And over the years, I've watched so many, and I've wrestled and dealt with things as well. And, uh, but in dealing with that, when we don't understand how deliverance works and how to truly be set free, then we just uh, open the door for the enemy to gain advantage over our lives. And that's one thing that we do not want to do, is to give the enemy any kind of advantage in our lives. Are you with me this morning? And so it is so important. And so today, and, and one thing that's been done is, is that uh, Jesus didn't say go and make converts. He said go and make disciples. And one thing that's happened in the church is we've, been, we, we've settled many times over this past several generations here of settling for converts and just counting numbers and saying these people got saved and not bringing them to maturity in Christ. And to grow in Christ, it takes a lot. Many times, wherever we are, whenever you get saved, whatever age you are, whatever station you are in life, there, there's been a lot that's been uh, uh, poured into your life. Your lives have been infused with a lot of information, a lot of ideas, and a lot of concepts. And so one little prayer is not going to give you victory to break free from things that need to be changed in your life. Amen? It's going to take a little bit more than that. And uh, when we come to God's word, I think about it, and there's some things I'll say here towards the end of this message this morning, and you're going to go, wait a minute, that's not the way I think. Well, you always have to ask yourself, there are two lines of thought. There's God's word, and there's the word of the world. There's what God says about life and about truth, and then there are other thoughts in the world. So you have to ask yourself, if God has a declaration of what's true, then who made the other declaration of what's true? And who am I going to believe? And so changing that is a real process. Exodus chapter 14 and verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before Phi between Megal and the sea opposite Baal, Siphon, and you shall camp before it by the sea. So Israel's come out. They come up to the edge of the Red Sea. They're on the edge there. They've just gone through Moses telling uh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, they go through all the ten plagues. And you would think that after that experience with God and with God's people, you would be done. Amen? You'd think, man, that's a, I've had enough. We've gone through this. We've gone through that. We've gone through the flies. We've gone through the frogs. We've gone through the, the plague. We've gone through the blood. We've gone through everything else. We, we've gone through the hail and the fire and all the stuff. We've gone through the death of our firstborn, everything. Not just our children, but every, all the livestock, every living thing. The firstborn of every living thing died, and they finally let them go. 
And you would think, man, I'm done. I'm glad they're gone. I'll wash my hands of them. I'm just going to go on with my life, however demented or twisted that was, but I'm not going to chase trouble anymore. Amen? You, you would think. I mean, logically, that's how we would probably. But that's not the way the devil thinks. For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land, and the wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled in the heart of Pharaoh, uh, and his servants was turned against the people and they said we have done this why have we done this that we have let Israel go from serving us if you have your Bible you could underline that from serving us see the devil's not willing to let you go away from serving him so he made ready his chariot and took his people with him he also took 600 choice chariots and chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh king of Egypt and he pursued the children of Israel and the children of Israel went out with boldness so the Egyptians pursued them and the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh his horsemen his army overtook them camping by the sea besides Pi Hithroth before Baal Zephon now look back at your outline, if you would. We have those ten plagues. And you and I may be out of Egypt, but Egypt is not out of you. When we come to cry, we get saved. But how many know the Bible says that we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind? And so there's things that are in it that still have to be removed from us. Pharaoh didn't give up because the people left Egypt. And you need to know that the devil will not give up either just because you got saved. He doesn't give up just because you prayed the prayer and accepted Christ. He doesn't give up. You need to know the will of the devil. Pharaoh's will was hardened against God. And, and God doesn't make people do that. But Pharaoh had already set his heart against God. And God said, I'm just going to show you my complete how I completely deal with people who turn their hearts against me. Pharaoh had a goal to enslave the Israelites again. So does the enemy. And, and, and I'm going to talk to you in a few moments just about being passive. We, we are way too passive. It, it's kind of like how we're, we're trying to fight ISIS and radical Islam. We want to fight them with negotiations and peace talks and sanctions. They're, they're, they are not that passive in the advancement of their, you're just not going to sit down at the table. We'll sit down at the table, but only one of us is getting up, and that won't be you. Amen? I mean, in their mind. But, but in doing that, you can't be passive with the devil who pursues you relentlessly. It's like this. I've seen people who have, and, and if you've been through it just like me, I've seen people who have come to Christ and they've had miracles, they've had healing, they've had deliverances, they've been brought out of bondages and out of addiction, and the devil just waits long enough for you to get comfortable, and then in a few days or in a week or two, that person comes back and said, hey, you know what, I got some new smoke. Let's go out and get high. You know what, I, I, I got some new, let's go do this, come on, let's go party again, let's go do that. Or that old flame, that old romance shows back, something shows back up, that same thing, and he goes back and he knocks on that familiar door, and people go, man, how did I get back in? He comes back with temptation again, and then people fight it instead of resisting. Ephesians 4.27 says, give no place to the devil. Isn't that interesting? That's written to Christians, not to sinners. When the Bible says resist him, that's written to believers, not to sinners. And so once we're saved, there, there, there is an engagement that we have to have with the enemy and not to be passive with him. And so you and I need to cross the Red Sea. And it's interesting that Pharaoh didn't come out against him alone and say, hey, I'm the king of, uh, of, of, of Egypt. You guys come back and obey. He brought a huge army with him. And you need to realize that the enemy never comes back against you all by himself. He comes with an army. The Bible says in Matthew that, that when you cast the devil out of a man, that he goes and wanders through dry places. And he says, hey, I'm going back to my house, and I'm not going back alone. I'm going to bring seven others who are worse than, than, than it was before. Seven times stronger I'm coming back. And so he's relentless in his attack against it. So you and I need to cross the Red Sea. God told them to camp there by the Red Sea. Now I want you to think about this. This is almost three million people. Can you imagine that? Three million people. How wide of a group is that? Amen? Walking through. Let's just take the whole population of Sacramento, 
and say, okay, let's take these people and let's get them from Sacramento to, you know, Davis even, if we go that far. How many know that's a pretty big procession? And how, how many know that if you tried to funnel all the people coming out of Sacramento into Davis across the bypass bridge, how long would it take to get all three million people out of Sacramento? A long time. Would it take more than one night? Probably. So the width of that had to be fairly wide, of them coming out. And then their camp, that's a huge camp. And then on there. Now think about it. They begin to cross, and look down at verse 21. You're there in Exodus 14. And it says, so, uh, and Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right and on their left hand. Uh, and on their left. And so picture this. For, for all of Israel to cross in one night, how wide did that have to be? Isn't it amazing how, how the world likes to make everything God does really small? But for three million people to cross over in one night and to get that, that had to be a huge separation of the sea. And people getting across, going over there. How many have ever been to a Kings game? Okay, you're getting maybe 17,000 people out of the parking lot. And, and, and if you have that philosophy, I'm going to get a parking spot right up front so I don't have to walk in very far. And then you find out, why did I park right up front? Because when you come out, that old theory, first in, last out. Amen? And so he said, man, I'm stuck here for another hour waiting to get out of this parking lot. And that's just 17,000 people. Let's take three million people, and they don't even have cars. They, they, they got like kids, and they like got goats and donkeys and whatever they got with them, and cattle and sheep and, and stuff they're bringing with them, and the, and the carts are pulling, whatever. Amen. And so you got to get all this across. That's got to be a huge and those walls, hundreds of feet high, maybe, on the side of them, so high that it had the appearance that they went down in. So watch this. God wants you free, indeed, separated from the Egypt or the world so that it has no more power over your life. The Red Sea means two very important things in our life. First, it is a picture of water baptism. Say, Pastor, why are we going through all this this morning? Because you need to understand if you've been baptized, you need to be reminded what happened when you were baptized. And if you haven't been baptized, you need to know that you need to be water baptized. Amen? They're very significant. God doesn't ask us to do things for no reason. Stay with me this morning. So it is a picture of water baptism, them going down in. It had that appearance. Secondly, the Red Sea symbolizes deliverance. Now watch this. The enemy follows you in, but only you come out victorious on the other side. Let's go back in Exodus. Let's keep reading. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right and on their left. Verse 23, And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning, watch, that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. He took off their chariot wheels. I think that's awesome. They're riding along, all of a sudden your wheels fall off. Dad, what's up? Watch this. He knocks off their chariot wheel that they drove them with difficulty, and they keep dragging their chariots. Now, you have to get this picture. This is the type of the enemy pursuing you after God has delivered you. This is how relentless the devil is. Pharaoh is literally a type of the devil. That's why I say you cannot be passive in how you deal with sin, temptation, or any instrument that the devil brings against your life. 
took up their chariot wheels, and they, that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us free from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horses. So in the middle of the night, the, the Israel is walking through there. The sun rises up, and the Egyptians say, Hey, wait a minute, they're getting away, and the water's there. And so they begin to chase them, and as Israel's just coming up out of the other side, they can see them coming out. So here they are trying to catch up with them and running out across there. Not ever thinking, wait a minute, this is kind of crazy that I'm even driving across here. Now you have to understand the devil is very wise, but he's a dumb devil as well. Amen? And so in doing that, and you always have to remember that the devil is also a created being. And how many know the creator is always greater than the created being? Amen? And so the wisdom of God brings him into that play. Now look back at your outline. So the enemy follows you in, but only one of you comes out victorious on the other side. The same thing happened. The devil followed Jesus into the grave, but only Jesus came out victorious. And when we have water baptism, that's what we're declaring. The devil said, man, I got him now. If this is the son of God, I've crucified him, I've killed him. And he takes him in the tomb, and the devil's with him there in the grave. He's rejoicing over the death of God's purported son. Man, I really won the victory this time. And he's having a great time, thinking everything is going well. But then Sunday came. Hallelujah. And I, I like that old Carmen song where they're singing that about Sunday. And it begins to shake, and the devil goes, what's going on? And all the demons and the devil, ah, and the stone's rolling away. And, ah, he's alive. Amen. He's alive. Yeah. And he comes out, and the devil stays bound. Are you with me? The devil stays bound. The same way Egypt stayed in the Red Sea, the devil has been confined to that being conquered through the resurrection and the grave of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the power of water baptism is, is this. Again, the devil wants you to trivialize this and view it as not important or necessary to do everything God tells you to do in order to be free. God's people walked through that Red Sea. The wall of water was high so that they appeared to go down into the water and disappear. Sometime in the spirit, Something happens, let me give it again, when we are baptized in water. Something happens in the spirit when we are baptized in water. It's amazing. Jesus went to be baptized, and as he's baptized, the spirit of God speaks, and, the, and, and I mean, God speaks, the dove descends, and God declares, saying, water baptism is powerful. Jesus was water baptized. Amen? Now stay with me. The going down into the water is like that burial. It symbolizes that our old life has ended. How many know Jesus died for our sin? And that means that old life has ended. And we're raised with him in newness of life. But more than just that, there's something that has to deal with our conscience. How many have ever carried guilt from your past? In your walk with God, you're still, they find the enemy remind you of your past. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Are you doing all right this morning? Are we helping you? Hebrews chapter 10. And verse 22 says this. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Having our hearts sprinkled from what? An evil conscience. So when we come to Christ, water baptism also gives us that place of having a clear conscience before God. Why? Because our past is buried. All that the devil had, all that the enemy used against us is buried there. The same way the Egyptians. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's go to the right a little bit. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, verse 18, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype of 
the flood and the ark, which is now saves us, namely baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of what? A good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so when we are buried with Christ, everything about our past is buried, and we can be brought up in the declaration of resurrection after water baptism, is that, hey, that's gone. My conscience has now been washed and cleansed. Amen? Hallelujah. And so we have that. So let's talk for the last few moments here about the power of deliverance. And we need to remember this. Go with me to Mark chapter 5, if you would. Second service with the water baptism, I won't be able to cover all this, and so it's important that I do it now so even those there can get a full lesson on this. The power of deliverance. Pharaoh has an army, and so does Satan. We need to understand that. You also need to remember that the devil, as a created being, he is a brilliant being. He is a master of deception. Amen. Are you with me this morning? He is. And we're not giving him credit, but you need the wisdom of God in order to defeat him. You, you need the, the spirit of God. You need the mind of Christ. You need the wisdom of God. And you need the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon your life and the power of God working through your life to defeat him. You can't defeat the devil on your own. There's no way to say, you know what, I'll just quit doing that. I'm not going to do that as much. I'll just do. You can't beat a spirit out of your soul. You're never going to get spiritual victory with a soulish attempt, just your own will and your emotions and your mind. Amen? So the power of deliverance is this. Satan has an army of demonic powers that are highly skilled at manifesting their personalities through human beings. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Then when they came to the other side to the sea of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes, and when he had come out of the boat, there met him, this is Jesus, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart, and the shackles broken pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. Always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stone. But when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, now watch this. Look at it, saying he, but I want you to watch who's crying out and worshiping him. The spirit that's in the man, not the man, but the spirit in the man sees Jesus coming. And the spirit makes the man run. And the spirit falls down and begins to worship him. And he says this. What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. So this is a demon speaking through, are you with me? A person manifest. How many believe that the devil still possesses people today? We, we don't give it enough credit. Hollywood glamorizes it, but the church ignores it. But the devil is real. We watch all the movies by Hollywood, but we don't enact our faith. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching real good. All right. But this is real stuff. And then I always, I always think it's funny because people have no problem with devil speaking through people. With the devil possessed, with somebody being demon possessed, and then the voice of a demonic spirit speaking through someone. But a religious devil has lied to the church and said that a person filled with the Holy Spirit shouldn't have the voice of the Spirit speaking through him. When you pray in tongues, when you pray in the Spirit, that's the voice of the Spirit who has filled you speaking through you. Amen? Doing good this morning. Now watch. Now, Jesus begins this conversation, and he said to him, come out of her. He had said, come out of him, the man, you unclean spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. And if you'll read history, a legion is an army of at least a minimum of 6,000 soldiers plus about 800 captains, and, 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 and the, so the legion didn't include the officers and the commanders in those. But it's usually about 6,800 people, but at least 6,000 soldiers in a Roman legion. 
My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, if a man can have 6,000 demons, how much of the Holy Ghost can we have? Amen? Woohoo! Hallelujah. Now watch this. For we are many. And they said, don't count. And, and then Jesus said, and I like that. See, th this is the difference be because be there's a difference between people and animals. Animals are not created in the image of God. You are. Animals were not created to possess spirit. Animals are soulish beings. They don't have a spirit. All right, don't get mad at me if I tell you all good dogs don't go to heaven, okay? Just, but, but watch, I'll, I'll prove it to you, watch. So here they are. This man's able to have 6,000 spirits in, over inside of him. Amen? But when those same 6,000 went into the pigs, the pig with three spirits went out of his mind and ran off a cliff. 2,000 pigs, those spirits went into 2,000 pigs. They didn't just go into one pig. They went into all 2,000 pigs. Are you with me this morning? And so they all run off the cliff. That's why when you see dogs that are, that, that are driven to chase cars, you need to cast the devil out of that dog. Because the devil will drive him to eventually destroy himself. Next thing you know, we just have blood on the highway. Amen. Are you with me this evening, this morning? Come on, stay with me. Hear me. All of the devil's intentions for you are evil. Look at this man. He's bound, had no control, and amazing strength. There's nothing good in the devil. I put it in here. I will never forget what Sean and I saw when we went to Haiti. You want to go see a nation that's been given over to voodoo and black magic, and you want to see the outcome of living underneath that demonic spirit, that controlling spirit, just go to Haiti. It is unrestrained poverty and debauchery and just amazing. It's just the it was the most depressing place I'd ever been in. There was no place you turned and said, oh, look, it's better over there. There was no better over there anywhere in Haiti. We cannot afford to give the devil a stronghold, as I already said. Give no place to the devil is written to believers. Deliverance is a spiritual house cleaning. Satan declared his intention, I will return in Matthew 12. And you and I must be determined to kick his hiney, as I preached a few weeks ago. This is why many new Christians do not stay free. That have, they have not completely renounced and removed Satan as an illegal resident in their body, in their mind, and in their spirit. When the Bible says give no play, that means don't play with sin. Don't play with old temptation. Don't play with those thoughts. Don't tell yourself you're strong enough. I can handle it. I can handle it is the last words before failure. Doing all right? He must be forcefully evicted or kicked out. There, there's a story that's told in, in a little analogy about this young boy. He was new in the neighborhood. Or moved, family moved into a new neighborhood, new city. He goes to a new school, and he's there the first day on the school, and he walks out on the playground, just a young boy, and he walks out there, and he's kind of a little skinny guy, kind of like what I was, and uh, my wife so graciously posted my sixth-grade picture on Facebook, and so here I am standing there, and I'm this little... You know, this little runny runt guy. And people say, well, Pastor, you need to lose weight. I said, this is the first time in my life I've had any weight. I'm enjoying it, praise the Lord. And uh, so, uh, but at this little guy, because when I went into high school, I weighed 103 pounds as a freshman. I was a little bitty guy. And so I can identify with this guy. This guy moves in to the neighborhood, and he's out on the playground there at his new school. And here's this big guy out there, and he's got a tablet, and he's writing down, in, writing on the tablet. He goes, and, and the kid walks up to him, and he says, hey, what are you doing? Turned out he was the playground bully, and the bully's going, hey, I'm writing down the names of everybody on this playground that I can whoop. The little kid looks on there and says, is my name on there? And he said, the, the guy had written it down. He says, hey. You can't whoop me. Let's do it right now. Come on. Put your pen. Let's go for it right now. And the boy just reached over and scratched out his name. <laughs> Amen? And so you have to believe. You don't have to put up with that stuff. If you'll rise up and fight. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. But you can't be passing. The, oh, man, he's putting my name on the list. He thinks, he oh, man, what am I going to do? He's bigger than me. No. That never bothered me. Let me know what I'm saying. 
And it shouldn't bother you. The devil will tell you you're small and he's big. Let me give it to you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is. You're the big one on the playground. Somebody ought to shout amen. So don't give him any play. He has to be forcefully evicted. And remember, he never quits bringing temptation. So how does Satan seek to regain control in our life? What are some of his ploys? And I'm giving you an overview. And people say, well, Pastor, why is it important that I go to Encounter Weekend? Why do I need to spend a weekend with God? Why do I let, need to allow the Holy Spirit to have special time with me? Because you don't get set free in a service like that. I can give you some ideas, and some, but we can't deal with it. And, and the Holy Spirit needs some time to help you deal with some things. There's some areas that come up when it comes that the enemy uses in our life. Three main ways that the devil uses to keep us under under control or to regain control and number one is generational bondages go back with me to Genesis Exodus chapter 20 are you still with me this morning Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5 in speaking about graved images idol worship or anything contrary to worshiping God. Verse 5 declares this, You shall not bow to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of fathers on what? The children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And so there are literally generational ties and curses that are tacked to our life. Isn't it amazing when you go to the doctor, the doctor wants to know what is your generational history of health in your family? Wait a minute, what's that? But, and so there, there's a physical tie there, but there's also a spiritual tie. And so knowing that there, there's some things, and when our parents are involved and say, I, I'm, I'm convinced of this, when Sue and I went early in our, in our marriage, we went to a Bill Gothard seminar, and he taught on this, and uh, when I came up from a broken home, my parents divorced, my dad committed adultery, and, and uh, my mom and my dad got divorced when I was two. I came from a broken home, I never wanted that, but I never had any teaching, but divorce was a part, and it's in our history, and in our family, and that's, how many know divorces? is a spiritual curse on the family. That's what it is. And so unless you choose to break that off of your family. So we heard this teaching. I remember I went home and I prayed because I had failed what happened with Sean and, and, and the situations there. I just wasn't living right. I didn't have any knowledge. And so failure came. And now what I never wanted to happen, happened. And so when, once I got saved and I had my mind renewed to something, I remember going in and praying and making that decorate. Father, I break this over. We had just had Austin. I'm praying over Austin. I'm praying over them. I want those generational curses broke off of our family off of my life how many know what i'm saying i want that broken so there are other things drug addiction alcoholism all those type of things being involved in that even going back and finding people was there satanic worship of some time we used to go oh it's so innocent people we just let our kids play with ouija board ouija board when you put your hands on that thing and you ask and listen you put your hands on a board you ask your board a question and then it moves and spells out an answer what's making that move What's making that move? See, we, we don't give enough credit to spirit. And so has there been that in our lives? And are those doors or those areas that need to be closed off? And we need to understand that. Patterns and addictions, habits, criminal activity, divorce, and other things that have moved through your family line possibly for decades to break that when they say, I, I like what Jesse DePlanis said, hey, we, he went in for a checkup one time and the doc said, well, we need to know, is there any cancer in your family? Is there any heart disease? Any he said, wait a minute, doc. He says, I'm not connected any longer to my family. I'm a new man in Christ Jesus. I'm of a new bloodline, and my bloodline is now the royal blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm no longer connected to the disease of my past. I'm redeemed, and blood has been paid for me to be healed. That was under the curse. I'm no longer under the curse. I've been redeemed from the curse of the law. But if you don't stand up, if you just walk in passivity, you'll go to the doctor and the doctor will tell you, well, there's heart disease in your family. There's this in your family. I'm no longer in that family. I'm an adopted child of God. I'm in the family of God and I have new blood flowing through my blade. I'm not agreeing with the past. I'm agreeing this one thing I do, I forget the past. I'm not going to have heart disease. I'm not going to have diabetes. I'm not going to have kidney failure. I'm not going to, I have new blood. 
And then he said, hey, doc, let me see your clipboard. Do you have any heart disease in your opinion? Just start checking him off. Amen? Hallelujah. So you can't be passive. Are you with me? So the second thing, the way the enemy works, is through curses. Go with me to Galatians chapter 3. Curses are a real part, and we need to understand that. There's the account, if you read the story of the deliverance of Jericho into the hands of Israel. Joshua, at the end of that, made a declaration. They pronounced a curse over anybody that would re- try to rebuild Jericho, that their firstborn son would die. That if any man tried to rebuild what God destroyed, that God would judge them with the death of their firstborn son. Several hundred years later, a, a ruler came in and said, hey, this is too good of land. This is too good to allow this to lie there and do that. We need to rebuild this. And, and I know they said there's a curse over this and that, but this is too good. I, I don't believe in all that stuff. And in the middle of the construction process, his firstborn son died. Whoa. Yeah, come on, guys. This is real stuff. Are we doing all right? So stay with me. Galatians chapter 3, and look with me if you would. Begin in verses 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us from what? The curse of the law, having become a what? A curse for us. Now it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon the tree. That the blessing, everybody say blessing, of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Amen? And so you and I, the curse, any curse over our life was taken to the cross. Any curse from our past, generational curses, generational bondage, those things are taken and nailed to the cross, and we have been set free. When you come to Christ, the curse is broken. Amen. We used to hear all the time with the, the Kennedy family. Years ago, it was called the Kennedy Curse. That all the sons of, 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 of old man Kennedy were cursed because he dealt in bootlegging and debauchery and all kinds of things where he made a lot of his money. Number three is soul tie. A soul tie is an unscriptural connection between you and someone else that you have deep and often sexual relationship with. God forbids these relationships. Today in our society today, sex is treated as an Olympic sport. I'm just kidding you. Amen? But common, casual sex, free sex, free love, everything about our society and everything, and the consequence of that. No, 2 Corinthians 6, I don't have time to read it. When, when a man and a woman are joined, they become one, not one soul, one spirit. They become one. And there's a tie connected to that. It's, sex is spiritual. It is not just physical. Are you with me? And so there are ties. And so knowing that person before, that, that's why sex, God made it beautiful, made it wonderful, but he ordained it to be under the covering of the marriage covenant between one man and one woman. Amen? And so in dealing with that, we bring ourselves into error. And so many times because of our culture, by say culture, Culture has taught us one mindset, and so before we come to Christ, we may have had areas in involvement and engagement with other people, but now, you know what, I I, I don't want that spiritual influence in my life. That tie needs to be broken by the blood of Jesus, amen? And so that's why I said, I'll say some things, people go, well, you know what, Pastor, I don't believe it. Believe any way you want. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, amen? So what do we do? Somebody come back to the keyboard, please. Breaking Satan's strongholds, bondages, curses, and soul ties have all been broken by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. We must, though, declare our total freedom from destructive habits, addictions, thoughts, and relationships. You have to be aggressive, guys. We must renounce Satan with our mind in any area where he is trying to control us and pronounce our freedom. That's why I put that confession on the front. People go, oh, pastor, that's nice. I know you were joking about putting it in my bathroom and doing that. No, you need to say some things over your life. What are you saying? Listen to what you say. One of the areas in in that is you listen to people fear. Do not let fear be a motivator for anything you say. Refuse it. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. The church is engulfed in fear. Set your mind free from fear. Be responsible, but do not be motivated by fear. 
Amen. Resist it relentlessly. So we renounce that. Forgive and release all those who have contributed to your bondage in the past. And then finally rejoice in your liberty. Like Israel did on the shores of the Red Sea after their mighty deliverance. They went in and they came out and they watched God drown their adversaries. You need to look back and remember. If you've been baptized, go back to that day that you were baptized. Remember, God, every enemy of my path, everything that was pursuing me from my destruction was buried in the grave of baptism. The devil followed you into the grave, and he followed me into that Red Sea of my baptism. And when I came up on the other side, I came up victorious. He is still in the grave. He is buried in the sea, and I am free in Jesus' name. So I think I'll just dance in my victory over him. Amen? Hallelujah. I'm not going to give him any place in my life. So where are you today? The first step to freedom is to accept Christ as your Savior. Bow your heads with me this morning. He's the one like Moses who was sent to bring you out. Then to be baptized. To leave your enemy in the grave. And walk in your freedom towards your promise. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. Right now in this moment, He's come to bring you out. To lead you into the promise that God has for your life. It's as sure as bringing out the nation of Israel. Jesus came to deliver you out of the bondages and the curses of your past. To set you free. To conquer the one who's tormented you your whole life. You need a Savior. God's brought you here today. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, maybe that's you. Say, Pastor Don, I need a Savior. I need the deliverance you've talked about all morning. I don't want to wait another day. I don't want to hold on to some excuse of why I might be okay. I don't want to just do this in my own strength. I know I can't defeat this enemy on my own. I need the victory that I can only have through Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's you today and you've never accepted Christ. I want to pray for you right now. If you're here today and that's you, just raise your hand up real bold and say, Pastor, pray with me. I need God's deliverance in my life. I need Jesus as my Savior. Anybody here in this first service, you you know you need to be born again. You need to be saved. Anybody at all? Amen. Amen. Everybody would say, I'm saved. I'm born again. Amen. Hallelujah. Then I encourage you, be filled. Don't just stop at being born again, but also be filled with the Spirit. At the encounter weekend, we laid all the way up to that, to getting you fully baptized with the Holy Spirit. We end Sunday morning with getting everybody filled with the Holy Spirit. Stand to your feet with me just for a moment this morning. Now, Father, I pray over your people. I thank you for all that you have given us, Lord. I thank you for the victory that is ours. God, you loved us enough. You sent Moses into Egypt to bring your people out. And you sent your son, Jesus Christ, into this earth to bring us out from the bondage of sin. Jesus, you're our Savior. You're our Deliverer. You brought us out. You walk with us through the water of baptism. You bring us out victorious, leaving the enemy and the adversary of our soul buried in the grave causing us to rise up victorious on the other side. Today we rejoice in you and we give you praise in this place in Jesus' name. Come on, give the Lord a good praise this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Yes. Come on. Your enemy was buried. You've been victorious, risen up victorious in Christ. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. We glorify, magnify you. Glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah.